This is the Grow Your Clinic podcast from Clinic Mastery. We help progressive health professionals to lead inspired teams, transform client experiences, and build clinics for good. Now, it's time to grow your clinic. episode of the Grow Your Clinic podcast. My name is Jack O'Brien. Thank you for joining us again, as always. And I'm going to throw in right at the top here, if you want the links or show notes from today, or you want to follow along with some timestamps, you can head to clinicmastery.com forward slash podcast, and all of the links and notes will be over there. And you'll be able to head along to your player and leave us a review or rating. Let us know what you think of this episode. That would be fantastic because today we have another guest joining us. I have Dr. Claire Lawson from Lawson Clinical Psychology over in Perth, WA, and we're going to be exploring her journey as a clinic owner. So, Claire Lawson, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. It is an absolute pleasure. You are a clinical psych, you're a practice owner, and you're also part of the Clinic Mastery team. It's been a remarkable journey, and I can't wait to uh, to unpack that. But first, I've got a couple of icebreaker questions for you. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. All right. Number one, what are you reading or learning right now? I am reading or listening to, I'm a big fan of audiobooks, uh, Mm -hmm. listening to Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. The idea of a circle of security and the importance of creating a team where people are valued, feel supported, feel safe, feel, you know, protected within that environment. And I think that's especially important at the moment with the threats that business facing as a result of COVID and the pandemic. Mm, love it. Leaders eat last. It's a, it's a perennial favourite. Okay, number two, who inspires you? Probably my clients, I think. I work with people with obsessive compulsive disorder and the treatment involves facing your fears and putting yourself in, in really difficult and challenging situations and feeling a lot of discomfort in order to, to overcome the anxiety that goes along with that. And I'm always yeah, really inspired at watching their journey and how willing they are to put themselves in those situations and ride through that discomfort in order to achieve their goals. Mm. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I would. I, I can sympathise. I, I think that would be quite inspiring to work with those types of humans. That's that's awesome. All right, number three. What did you want to be growing up? I wanted to be a flight attendant. We used to travel a lot as when I was a kid. We lived in the UK, and a typical kind of UK family. Every summer holidays, we'd escape um, escape the UK, mm-hmm. travel to some amazing places around the world, and just always loved getting on a plane and that sort of sense of excitement of, of going somewhere new and exploring somewhere new. So that it. was what I wanted to be as a kid, but turns out that I'm actually too short to be a, <laughs> a flight attendant. <laughs> you know, Claire, I was thinking that. I thought, oh, I better not mention her uh, a reference to her vertical <laughs> challenges, but uh, yep, there you go. <laughs> yeah, can't reach the overhead lockers, so I had to give up on that idea pretty quickly. <laughs> too funny. All right, and finally, what's a motto that you live by? Probably, I think relationships are everything would be my my motto that Mm. I live by. As humans, we're social animals and we need connection and we thrive on connection. And I think it's important not just in our personal lives but also in, in business to really nurture relationships and to focus on that. And if we're looking after 
the relationships that we have with our team members. I'll look after their relationships with their clients and then that will sort of look after the business. So I think, yeah, relationships are everything. Amazing. Love it. Okay, so help connect the dots for me from the, uh, the teenager jaunting all over Europe through to, uh, through to being a psychologist. What happened? How, so we know why you didn't end up a flight attendant, you know, vertically <laughs> challenged. How did you end up studying psychology? Yeah, so when I was in high school, I really enjoyed my two favourite subjects actually were history and human biology. Uh, so I think the theme there and the link is that, that curiosity around what makes people tick and why do people do what they do and really understanding that. And during my high school years, it was also the time, I think, that uh, Silence of the Lambs, I was showing my age here a little bit, (laughs) uh, that that was released. And so I developed a bit of an interest in forensic psychology at that point. Gotcha. Um, So decided to study psychology when when I started at uni. And it was actually my intention to become a forensic psychologist and Mm -hmm. had actually applied to do the master's in forensic psychology at Charles Sturt University through my undergrad. But as I got to the end of my undergrad, I was offered a position at or in a new course that the University of Western Australia were rolling out, which Mm -hmm. was a combined master's and PhD in clinical psychology. And Mm -hmm. I was kind of excited to be part of a new opportunity a new you know as a new course development it was supposed to shave a year off the the time taken to do a <laughs> master's and a PhD. Oh, the promises right yeah it didn't quite work out that way but yes that made me sort of make the decision to not pursue forensic psychology and to move into clinical psychology instead mm, okay and uh, for the uninitiated could you explain just briefly what is clinical psychology as opposed to the other um, domains of psychology? Yeah, so clinical psychology, our main approach or main area that we work in is mental health. So that's our sort of area of expertise is really deep diving into the causes of mental health difficulties the and the treatments of mental health. Okay, and so connect the dots then from stepping into clinical psychology through to being a clinic owner. How did that come about? Well, it was never my intention to be a clinic owner. <laughs> never but, is for any of us, right? Yeah, true. But when I when I graduated university, it was, it was very rare for someone to start in private practice straight from okay. university. And in fact, there were very few clinical psychologists in private practice at that time. It was okay. uh, before the Medicare rebates started. So it was back in 2002. So I took a position at the local children's hospital and then moved into an outpatient clinic setting after that. Spent about five years working in the government sector mm-hmm. before having my first child and then I took a bit of a break maternity leave and came back part-time into the health department and it was at that point that I started to look at my role a bit differently Mm -hmm. sort of come back after a break and into a setting that seemed to have not changed at all in Mm -hmm. that time and I was sitting in meetings and the agenda was exactly the same as it was when I'd left for maternity leave and they were still talking about 
the same things and the same issues and the same discussions, nothing was ever being resolved. And, you know, I was away from my child, my, my baby girl, and I wanted to actually be doing something to make a difference and sure. be contributing and felt like that role was really not allowing me to do that. So I started actually subcontracting for someone else. Mm-hmm. And I spent uh, only probably about nine months uh, subcontracting for someone else mm-hmm. because then I fell pregnant with my second child and yeah. so had another break. And it was after that break that I made the decision to venture out on my own and give it a try. And so, yeah, that uh, so was the start of my journey, really. That's great. I'm interested in maybe your family background or is there a history of business there at all? What, where did that entrepreneurial itch come from? Yeah, no, there's not, actually. My, my parents both had, you know, sort of more traditional kind of jobs, always worked for others. And in fact, my parents were quite, kind of quite shocked when I decided to start my own business. I think they're, okay. they're quite risk averse. And yeah, the idea of me doing this was uh, was sort of scary for them. <laughs> so I don't really know. I think I've always just been curious, always loved learning and developing my skills. Mm-hmm. And I think starting a business and, you know, starting a practice, it gave me an opportunity to learn in a number of different areas that were outside of my psychology training and I I Mm. found that I really loved delving into that and learning about, you know, accounts and marketing and yeah. And and more recently, I guess, HR and those sorts of things. Yeah, sure. So you started from scratch yourself and where did those initial clients come from? Or you mentioned obsessive compulsive disorder at the top there. Was that the niche at the time or how has that evolved? No, so it, well, I was just, I was seeing kind of whoever would come come through the door. Yep. So this was back in 2007. So Medicare rebates had become available in 2006. So there'd been quite an increase in demand at that point for psychological services. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't too difficult for me to start generating referrals. You know, I paid a lot of attention again to sort of relationships and Mm. the relationships that I built with particular GPs that would refer to me. I really nurtured those relationships. And so clients started flowing through pretty fast. So it wasn't long until I took on my first team member. It was probably six months in. Yeah, sure. That's exciting. I'm interested Claire, because your clinic owner journey has gone from the solo startup through to now quite well-established and quite a significant operation, which will unpack the top end of that soon. But reflecting on those early days, you said relationships was was key. Was there anything else that you look back and you think, I did that well, or "Mm, I'd probably do that differently if I was in startup phase again? Hmm. I think the things that I did well was around like initial recruiting and bringing on team members. Mm-hmm. I was really careful about who I invited into to my family, my team, and making sure that they were, you know, it was someone that was a good fit for me in terms of values and clinical approach that worked in a similar way. The thing that I would do differently would be 
to have had more support around understanding my numbers, I think. That's probably, you know, and the the finance side of things. It was just what what money was in the bank was how much money I had to spend and... Sure. Yeah. It's kind of fine by the seat of my pants, I think. Yeah, I think listeners will be able to empathise with that for sure. And, you know, often in those stages of business, we just do what we know and, and we do our best. But it's obviously worked really well for you. So fast forward now, it sounds like over a decade, but can you maybe paint us a picture of what your practice looks like today? So today we have 19 clinical psychologists that work in the practice. We have two locations with about six rooms across the two plus a group room. We've got five admin team members and we're probably, I think it's around 8,500 consults per, per year at the moment. Amazing. Well done. That's, that's quite significant. And what does an average week or average month in your life look like? Are you still seeing patients yourself or that, that's a significant team to lead? How do you manage your role? Yeah, so I split my week. I try to, to split it into, into chunks and work on certain areas at certain times of the week. So I spend my Mondays doing business coaching, so mentoring other business owners as well as receiving my own business mm-hmm. coaching. I am still seeing clients, so I do that on a Thursday afternoon. It's, um, I'm only seeing around about four or five clients a week. Also mentoring my team on Thursdays and then Tuesdays and Wednesdays are business management sort of activities and I try to take Fridays off where I can. Nice. Likewise, it's family Friday for us. Yes. Okay, so let's uh, let's step through that. What are some of the keys that you've worked on or what are some of the keys to success over the last couple of years to really accelerate the growth of your practice? What have you done well? I think over those years we... There was a little bit of sort of steady growth to begin with and then around about, it's probably 2014, 2015, we grew quite rapidly. So we doubled the size of our clinic, doubled the size of our team. And I think at that point from the outside, it looked as though our practice was doing really well. Mm -hmm. We had, you know, lots of clients coming through the doors, lots of team members, this growing team. But the reality of it, from you know from a business owner's perspective was uh, was not doing so well and in fact we were really you know I was really struggling at that point financially I wasn't managing the finances particularly well was paying my team and and taking care of them but not really taking care of myself and so I think you know my big learning from that experience was that you know any growth that happens really needs to be measured and needs to be planned and Again, coming back to that sort of understanding your figures and your numbers and being able to make decisions based on that. And I, I didn't do that back then. How do you do that now? Yeah, so we dashboard everything. We're really aware of what our figures are, also setting budgets and monitoring those budgets on a, on a regular basis and mm-hmm. looking for opportunities to, to save but I think the big key for us was around, yeah, we'd grown at that point by, you know, we doubled the size of the practice, but we actually hadn't doubled our revenue. So mm. I think we'd only gone up by about a third, but our expenses had obviously gone up. So that really, oh. yeah, impacted the bottom line. Yeah. And it is definitely an art to to grow the revenue and profit. It's easy to add more locations or it's easy to add more yeah. team members. 
but you know, they say revenue is vanity and profit is sanity. <laughs> it's <laughs> profitability that, that helps us stay sane and helps us sleep at night. So, you know, 19 team members at number of admin is, is quite a large team. What are some leadership principles that you lead by or um, talk to us about your, your perspectives on leadership across that team? Yeah, so I think some of the things that we've put in place recently is around, it used to be me, I was the the sole sort of leader within the team. In fact, I was doing a lot of the tasks of running the business as well as seeing clients and, sure. and taking, taking care of the team. So what I've done over recent years is put in some additional leadership roles into the the team structure. So we have a clinical team leader and we also have a practice manager who runs the admin team. So it's really around sort of nurturing the the team, uh, looking at what the team sort of desires, where do they want to go with their careers, what makes them feel fulfilled in, in their role you know, do they want to just be doing clinical work or are they interested in learning more about running a business or engaging in some research or developing their own leadership skills? So we're really focused um, within our team on helping those team members to thrive and develop their own careers and progress the way that they want to. Has that always come naturally to you though? I know that's not often the blink of a, a clinic owner to think about their team first. It's usually patients or community first. Has that been a natural progression for you? I think I've always focused on my team and my and clients. I think the my focus on relationships has made that. Yeah, that's yeah. that personal bent. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. You know, it speaks to me about growing a psychology practice because in on one hand, a health clinic is a health clinic and we're all allied health and we're all the same. But, you know, psychology can might be considered a bit of a unique kettle of fish. So in that sense, you've obviously looked beyond the world of psychology for your coaching and mentoring and inputs. How has it been specifically growing a psych practice in the psych world? You've obviously got team members now that aren't just contractors. They're not just you know, not just fulfilling a service for you, you're developing their leadership skills, you're able to attract ideal clients. What did you see when you were thinking about, oh, where can I learn some of these business skills? Mm. What was it maybe about Clinic Mastery that stood out to you? Yeah, so when I was looking at, at different ways to, to sort of improve the clinic and grow the clinic, I, I did look at other options in terms of business coaching. But one of the things that I think I sort of focused on was what we often just look to what are other psychology practices doing and Mm -hmm. trying to sort of emulate that or copy that and started to think, well, maybe there's another way to to do this. And there are lots of other allied health practitioners out there running successful practices and wouldn't it be great to be able to learn from them and to take some of what, you know, maybe physios or chiros or osteos are doing and see whether we can integrate that into what we do with psychology obviously we have to look at that through the lens of a psychologist and psychologist practice but I think there's definitely some learnings from that and I think one of the things that I have taken through working with clinic mastery is the importance of of team building that team culture more and psychology practices traditionally have been subcontractors and Mm -hmm. 
now we're sort of moving more to an employee model because that actually assists in building more of that team culture. You can invest more in the team, have them involved in more activities and other aspects of the business. And I think that's that's been one of the learnings for me. Makes sense. And that creates a sustainable environment for you as well, sustainable practice, a sustainable, profitable asset, which is fantastic. I'm interested, what else did you take out of your time as uh, as part of the Clinic Mastery Business Academy? I think the other things that I've taken out of that are around the idea of this, of career progression and establishing pathways for mm. career progression. Psychologists typically what's happened is people have either gone into sort of health department roles and sort of progressed through the the health department roles. They've moved into group practices if they've wanted to do private practice, been a clinician sort of churning through clients. But then if they want to progress any further, that's meant they've needed to then leave that practice and, and start their own. And sometimes that's not what clinicians are wanting to do, that they actually want to be part of a team and, you know, may want to progress further in their career but don't want all those responsibilities of running a, a, a business. So I think the thing I've taken from being in, in Clinic Mastery is that you, by creating those opportunities, we can actually improve the team culture and, and to you know, create this career progression where people don't, you know, they can achieve their goals, they don't need to leave the business. Mm, I love that. And you mentioned now you spend a portion of your week coaching and mentoring other clinic owners, largely psychologists, but you're also contributing across many of the other allied health professions that we work with. What is it that you love about helping other clinic owners to thrive? I love helping them to be able to, I guess, increase their impact and to be able to help more people and help their team to help more people. I also love, I guess I just love watching them thrive and, you know, seeing them enjoy running their business and, you know, actually kind of enjoying that process rather than feeling sort of weighed down and burdened by it. Yeah, you're right. In a lot of ways, being a clinic owner, being a business owner is a skill. It's a skill set that we don't learn at uni or part of our health professions. And as much as our professions, specifically psychology, can be useful in things like leadership, it's not the full picture of business ownership, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there are so many other skills that we need as business owners that, yeah, we don't, we're not taught during our degrees. And I think, yeah, Clinic Mastery do a great job of upskilling business owners in those areas of looking at, you know, marketing and finance, recruitment and brand and, you know, team culture. And specifically, Claire, when you think of psychology practices and you think, oh, if only they could get their head around this or if only they could do that, what do you see some of the the low-hanging fruit for psychology practices specifically? Oh, I think it varies. I think some some practices are obviously they're they're doing it really well. I think culture can be one of those. I think building a better culture um, rather than it being sort of independent practitioners, you know, just all operating out of the one building. I think that's one area. I think psychology practices often and, and psychology business you know owners of psychology practices have a tendency to self-sacrifice a little bit and you know they're often paying their team really well but as a result not paying themselves particularly well and so I think that's a, an opportunity 
for psychology practices to be able to become more profitable whilst also maintaining and looking after their team. But of course, of making course. sure that they're looking after the business owner as well. Mm. I think that's definitely an area that psychology practices are often a bit weaker in. Mm. I'm really glad you mentioned that. Thank you. Because often profit is a dirty word, right? Or or we should be self-sacrificial and help others first. We need a, uh, broadly speaking, across health professions, but definitely psychology, we need a sustainable model that rewards our employees in a healthy way, financially, culturally, and professionally, but also that rewards us as business owners that recognizes the sacrifices that we've made. And it enables us to invest back into our community, whether that be through giving or impacts, whether that's through in broadening our facilities and new clinic spaces, hiring more teams. So I really love that we can talk in a safe way around profit and finances because it is such, put it this way, it's one of the big things that causes clinic owners to become unstuck, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So if you were to speak to maybe Claire, the the larger practice owner or the group practice owner, they've got a team of 20, 25, 30, the the revenues up in the millions. And that's a scary place often for a lot of people, or at least an uncharted place. (laughs) What's what's some advice that you would give the larger practice owner? To seek support, to really sort of do a bit of a, a, to reflect on their areas of strength and perhaps the areas that they're not doing so well in and to reach out for support and guidance around those areas and to really develop their skill set, you know, in those those areas so they can improve. Or if they don't want to learn that skill for themselves, then to actually make sure that you've got the right people around you that can then do that job for you. Mm. I love it. Great advice. And uh, finally, as we land the plane, what about those solos or early stage startup psychology clinic owners, any clinic owner, what's your parting words of wisdom for those guys? I think it's probably a similar one is, is to reach out for support early. You don't know what you don't know. And having people with more experience around you can really help you avoid some of the the pitfalls and the potholes that uh, other practice owners might have fallen into. So, yeah, I think gaining support and reaching out is important. Mm, Love it. Awesome. It's been a dream. Thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast. If listeners wanted to check out more of your story, your practice, or maybe get in touch with you personally, what are some of the options for us to do so? Yeah, so they can find us on socials. So Facebook is Lawson Psychology. On Instagram, it's Lawson Clinical Psychology. But they can also follow me too. That's Dr. Claire Lawson. And it's Claire without the E. So C-L-A-I-R. Love it. And listeners, we'll make sure we link all that up on the show notes over at clinicmastery.com forward slash podcast. You'll be able to get in touch with Claire and check out her practice there. Well, Dr. Claire Lawson. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jack. And listeners, thank you for joining us. As always, we appreciate your feedback, reviews, ratings on your podcast player of choice. Feel free to let us know what you think. Check out the show notes again at clinicmastery.com forward slash podcast. And I can't wait to bring you another episode of the Grow Your Clinic podcast again really soon. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to the Grow Your Clinic podcast. To find out more about past episodes or how we can help you, head to www.clinicmastery.com forward slash podcast. And please remember to rate and review us on your podcast player of choice. See you on the next episode.